Welcome to Good Revenue, where we discuss monetization, go-to-market, and revenue growth. I'm your host, Nitha Bidway. We're here to discuss what we can do to influence more effectively, improve profitability, and sustainably grow revenue while delivering more value to customers over time. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Good Revenue. We're joined today by Nadia Morozova. In this conversation, we discuss marketing mix modeling, ROAS versus ROI, that's return on ad spend versus return on investment, and a great example of how you can bring psychographic and behavioral segmentation together to better understand audience mindsets and changing perceptions of your business. Finally, we discuss the huge opportunity that exists for B2B executives to bring some of this insights work from consumer into B2B businesses to better drive business results. Thanks for listening. We're here today with Nadia Morozova. She is a global chief analytics and insights officer for brand marketing and communications at EY, and she's based in London. And Nadia is an advocate for customer-centric decision-making, which is obviously close to my heart. She also has a blog called Enriched Insights. So we're super excited to have you here, Nadia. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting. It's been a great pleasure. Well, I'm looking forward to asking you a whole bunch of questions here. I, you know, I mean, maybe we'll just dive in. I think um, one of the things that we have a shared interest in is that we see the value of insights work both in product and in go-to-market, and also in terms of how it can help drive business outcomes. So at EY, yeah, your team helps internal stakeholders. Um, I would describe it as helping those stakeholders communicate more effectively with current or potential customers. But I think the core of what you're doing is really trying to help people make better data-backed decisions. One of the topics that seems to come up all the time for me and for, I think, people that you work with is uh, MMM, marketing mix modeling. And I think particularly in a post-GDPR world, post-individual tracking, like some of these limitations, I think it's forcing people to like take a bigger picture view of this. And I, I, you know, I do think MMM can be helpful, but I am just curious to know, like, from your perspective, what do you think companies should know about marketing mix modeling to be more effective and to use this tool more effectively? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think there is a lot of evolution, uh, specifically in the last couple of years, and uh, you outlined the reasons uh, very well here. I think from one side, I see a lot of development in the area of marketing mix modeling. For example, uh, Meta has recently held a webinar sharing a lot of details on how to leverage uh, their open source MMM code for analysis of various campaigns. So we see a clear example of how a very complex tailor-made modeling approach is getting turned into scalable product, which is definitely very, very exciting for us. From another side, we see a lot of room for driving adoption of even less complex analytical tools and methodologies, especially if we talk about uh, B2B industry. My vision is that MMM is definitely a very powerful tool that can provide advertisers across very different industries and sectors, highly impactful insights, but it's not a starting point. The first step in this journey is building a very clear data roadmap. 
including the specific steps which organizations take to ensure the highest possible data quality and clear data architecture. After the foundation is set, it's time to build the behavioral shift within the organization. So where senior leadership can start building trust and rapport with their data and analytics functions, while smaller scale and maybe more ad hoc type of projects. And only then it's time to start onboarding more complex tools and methodologies and media mix modeling is a great example of it. What are some of the limitations of MMM, do you think? I would say there are very different limitations. First of all, of course, it's uh, the quality of the data which goes into the model. So you, we really need to ensure that we uh, connect all the dots, that we get high quality data from very different types of sources like investment data, but we can also track what is the outcome of these investments. And I think it's also about the quality of the models or it's the statistical application or because of course modeling is quite complex um, exercise and it uh, depends on a lot of uh, variables. So I think it's very important to ensure that from one side we're getting highly quality data, from another side we are building a very, very holistic and robust solution which can allow to blend all those data points together. Do you think it's also important for business leaders or marketing leaders who want to leverage MMM more effectively? Is it important to consider automation? I mean, I know one of the constraints from my understanding is that because humans are obviously putting these models together and there's, you know, the frequency of of when these models are being updated. Do you think automation of these models helps bridge some of the limitations, assuming that, again, we have clean, strong data and that we've implemented a roadmap, as you suggest, do you think automation is also part of the future? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, as I mentioned in this uh, example of the model uh, from Meta, and there are also other companies who have their uh, own models like uh, Google, they also have open source model. It's basically a good starting point, a foundation uh, for first set up your own bar. And also, of course, uh, drive the automation and uh, the agility of the approach. Because um, before I remember when I started my career, this uh, modeling was a really, really long lasting exercise. It was very complex. We had a lot of stakeholders involved in the process. And of course, we could afford it only once a year. But we all acknowledge that now media landscape is developing and evolving so quickly that something that we got from the results of a year ago is not relevant anymore. So automation is definitely a very important uh, part in this journey. And I think a lot of companies can benefit from this. But again, first things first, uh, you need to set up the foundations. Speaking of foundations, how impactful is the goal when it comes to the utility of MMM. So like, for example, if our goal is to optimize the media mix versus measuring the effect or the impact of promotions or, you know, looking at the drivers of new customer acquisition, like those are some of the common reasons. I'm sure there are many more that you could tell us. But if as a business leader or a marketing leader looking at this, like how, how might your advice change or your recommendations change depending on what the objective is for the business? Yeah, I agree. First, of course, you need to set up clear 
research question or business question as well. And starting from this business question, which gets translated into research question, you know exactly what tool and methodology you need to imply. And it doesn't mean that it will be very, very complex, long-lasted, complicated. It can be something that you can do maybe more on the ad hoc basis where uh, you get data from different sources, you analyze the trends, you analyze uh, correlations, and that's the first point. And then after you understand the correlations, you go towards the causations uh, where the modeling is helping. And then you can do more exploration so that you can really be clear, okay, so what decisions I'm going to make based on this modeling and uh, how uh, reliable are the recommendations which I'm getting from this model. Another topic that comes up all the time, and I know you're very interested in it because I saw it on your your blog as well, is ROAS or return of ad spend. What do you think about the evolution of measurement models? And then a related question to this is, I think of ROAS as a shorter term metric. And I personally find return on investment to often be more helpful because I tend to find that in organizations we get too attached to individual campaigns or more tactical objectives. At the end of the day, I am very focused on what was the business outcome. And so the question, I guess, is how do you think about ROAS in terms of efficacy? And do you think that ROI is actually a better way to even measure how ads are performing? Yeah, I think it's our journey, right, to this evolution. So first you start with metrics, something that nowadays you can um, track quite often, even real time. Then you go to um, more in-depth into the data. So you start uh, connecting the data together and you uh, go into more uh, in-depth understanding like uh, return on advertising spend or return on investment, uh, more general. And... So this will help you to uh, make decisions, I would say, in medium term, right? So metrics, I would consider them more short term. So if you see some metrics are not performing as you expected, you can telemade your approach. Then in the midterm, you have an understanding, okay, so how my investment worked. And then more in the longer term, you will go into more complex modeling like MMM. So I think it's uh, depending, again, as we discussed with you on uh, what type of question, business question and research question we have. After that, we definitely select uh, what is the best approach, uh, analytical or research approach to address this question. Super helpful. So switching gears a little bit, you have worked with a wide range of companies across your career, not just at EY. And I know that not only do you have a PhD, but I think your your PhD research has been used in some really interesting ways. One of them is around segmentation, which is a topic I feel like I'm talking about all the time because I, I, I'm obsessed with it. I think it's super interesting and very impactful to business contests. So I would love to know, could you take us through your uh, one of your case studies? I know that you have had success bringing segmentation and audience mindsets together and that that has helped shift perception in at least one example. Yeah, definitely. So again, just uh, maybe to set up the foundation, segmentation is definitely a very uh, strong tool, but it's only one tool in the broader toolkit of various types of uh, research analytical projects, uh, which companies can do. 
And from my experience, segmentation can help with uh, building this uh, big holistic picture around understanding of your audience, also in terms of your current and potential uh, consumers and uh, customers. So with this example at TikTok, uh, when I joined, we were challenged with providing a strong and holistic picture of the audience who are on the platform. It was especially difficult because at that time, a lot of advertisers considered the platform as a place mainly for younger audiences. And from the internal data, we saw that there is actually much broader diversity of the audience and very different experiences which users get on the platform. So we really wanted to deliver the message of uh, why TikTok stands out from other platforms, but also what is the unique experience which users get on TikTok platform. So we really wanted to go under the skin of understanding this unique experience and how it differentiates from uh, other digital platforms. So we decided to blend both qualitative and quantitative stages and um, really uh, going in depth on understanding first behavioral aspects of users on the platform. So after we did this uh, first uh, qualitative exploratory stage of the uh, study, we realized that uh, there is a lot of very interesting type of behavior going on. So we, uh, for instance, realized that we're very traditional type of segmentation, like uh, social demographic segmentation, when you take uh, age and gender and then create uh, segments, is definitely something that uh, doesn't fit uh, for the purposes of understanding the unique experience. So we decided to shift the focus from uh, this traditional segmentation towards something more holistic, like understanding the reasons why consumers open different apps on their phone and what kind of unique experiences they get on these apps. So this is how we landed on this notion of mindsets. So in a nutshell, mindsets uh, represent a combination of reasons why users open one or another app on their phone. And we actually saw that there are different reasons. So there is uh, definitely a combination of reasons. And there is something that bigger and unites all these reasons together. So this research enabled us uh, to showcase to the advertisers what are the unique strengths of TikTok platform and how advertisers can benefit uh, from their presence on the platform. Moreover, it's also allowed us uh, to start building very specific recommendations on the types of the creatives which uh, advertisers can leverage and the types of campaigns which work the best on the platform. In a nutshell, we managed to shift uh, the overall perception uh, from our advertiser side of the TikTok platform and uh, changed the way how we were communicating about the setting up the objectives and uh, thinking about the platform in general. After we launched this effort uh, leadership, I think it was launched in Ad Week, we got a lot of questions and follow-up requests uh, from very different advertisers about really learning more about the mindsets and the unique experience and behavior our consumers get. For instance, one of these differentiating mindsets was um, entertain me. And this is definitely showcases that uh, users on the platform are very much leaning in. They're getting the, very engaged with the community. They are willing to participate, share. They get interested in the creating and participating in these hashtag challenges. 
and so on. So I think that was um, really impactful on the broader industry level, uh, the way how advertisers can think about different audiences uh, on different platforms. Is it fair to say then that audience mindsets is something we could understand as non-researchers, but just as a as a business exec, as a combination of both psychographical and behavioral segmentation? Is that how I could understand yeah. it? I would I would say so. So it's really about going under the skin of psychological reasoning as well as uh, understanding like the unique aspects of the behavior. I find it very powerful because I think quite often segmentation tends to be uh, very prescriptive, very right. generic. Yeah. And sometimes uh, static too, I think, if it's not done deeply or not done well, maybe. But Exactly. Exactly. And uh, this helps us uh, to really blend different variables together and really blend uh, different aspects of behavior and personality of their consumers, customers, or in this case, users. There's another question which I hadn't asked you in advance, but I'm I'm curious now that you're saying this. Since the objective was to shift perception, was the goal along the way that you were you're trying to get your audience from point A to point B, but there might be inflection points along the way? So was part of the analysis to measure how perception was changing or were something like this with an audience mindset? Should we think yeah. about it really as just like the end result? Does that make sense? But I'm just curious yeah. because I think other people who are listening to this might be thinking of how this could be useful in different contexts. Yeah, for instance, we are were asking about the emotions which are and like overall feeling uh, which users had uh, before and during and after going on TikTok platform. And we saw some uh, significant uneven positive emotions during and after the use of TikTok platform, which was very encouraging for us because we were resonating so much. It was done during the lockdowns when we were all stuck at home and TikTok was really a place where we could go rewind, get uh, this uplift, uh, share with the community. So it definitely resonated a lot. And I think it really helps exactly to uh, see the evolution of the experience before, during, and after in this case of going on the app. But for instance, if we talk about going to different store, it can help us to understand uh, how the experience in different store environment can shift our mindset. Because if, for instance, we get positive uplift while we're going in the cosmetic perfumery where we're discovering some new perfume or a new lipstick, you know, it gets definitely helps us to rewind and uh, get some emotional uplift. And of course, next time we want to go there again, especially when we want uh, to get some emotional boost. That's super interesting. And do you think that audience mindsets have applicability in B2B as well as in consumer? I would love to see it. I was never thinking about this before, but I think it's actually a really great uh, place to look for the potential application. I think so too. I'm just, I'm always hoping that people will get more adventurous in terms of some of these insights tools and um, and bringing more of the insights work that has had so much power in the consumer setting into business. I, I see a lot of opportunity for that. I Sorry, I think oh, it's no, a really great uh, opportunity to learn from B2C environment, to learn about the tools and methodologies which were very powerful and providing a lot of insight for the leaders within B2C sector and see what is the potential application in B2B because I think mindsets is a good idea, but there are so many 
developments in B2C, which can be leveraged in the B2B industries. It's awesome. I agree. Another um, question I wanted to ask you was um, your PhD research was also leveraged at TikTok to help drive product discovery and purchase decisions. Can you tell us a little bit about that research and how it actually led to business results? Yeah, we have a great pleasure. So my PhD research was uh, focused on uh, understanding of the underlying mechanisms of the purchase decision-making in uh, digital and e-commerce. And uh, for that study, I was really going in depth on the understanding of like what are the key triggers and drivers of planned, unplanned, and impulse purchases. So during this research, um, I created a scale, which was also validated at the later stage of the project, which was helpful and really enables us as leaders to understand, okay, so what is the type of purchase? Is it planned, unplanned, or impulse? And why it is important? Because it allows us to diversify our toolkit on how we're communicating uh, to shoppers in the in-store environment or while we're bringing them to the in-store environment and how we can also strengthen the broader portfolio of what we're proposing to shoppers. For instance, unplanned purchases are very much related uh, with the general need states. So while, for instance, I'm going to buy a shampoo, I still have a broader need state to uh, treat my hair. And unplanned purchases uh, can be associated with, for instance, hair conditioner or some hair treatment products. So it's really impactful for advertisers and uh, producers on how manufacturers on how to strengthen their presence in the consumer mind and ensure that consumers really fulfill all their needs. So at TikTok, when I joined, uh, we started also thinking about the role of the platform in the broader shopping experience. And uh, we were studying that TikTok plays any role in uh, driving product discovery and inspiration. So what we found out that uh, actually 69% of purchases which were inspired by TikTok can be classified as unplanned purchases. And we also saw that this number stays uh, very consistent across very different verticals and markets. For instance, one of my most favorite example is uh, luxury industry. So where we saw 65% of purchases inspired by TikTok, they were unplanned. And when we were sharing the results with the leaders in the luxury industry, they were absolutely surprised how can it happen because we all know that luxury products, they require some elaboration, some thinking, some search, maybe some inspiration as well. And I think uh, TikTok is actually uh, a good example here. Example that uh, there is a trigger which inspires or reminds about some want or need. And after consumers get this trigger, they decide to make the final decision to purchase a product. So it's been a really exciting journey for us uh, to see this unique role of TikTok platform in the overall shopping journey and in particular in driving these uh, unplanned purchases. So switching gears a little bit, I'm also curious about how organizations can better connect insights to business results. And one of the things that you and I have talked about, and I'm, we've seen it in our own um, in our own careers, is that most organizations, especially large enterprises, have 
tons of data. Like they're they're drowning in data, at least in in my experience. I, I suspect you will agree. And yet at the same time, I have found that sometimes insights work ends up being a little bit siloed, or there may have been some great research that was done, but the business isn't really like bringing it into decision making. How do you think that CEOs and executive teams could better leverage the work of insights? And again, making that connection between insights and research and business outcomes, how, how to be more effective in doing that? Yeah, as we discussed, this is something that has been reflecting in particular in the last two years, because there's so much potential uh, and so much room for driving tangible impact for analytics and uh, research and insights functions, both in B2B organizations, but also in B2C organizations. If we talk about the B2B types of companies, we, I think, can acknowledge that uh, we still don't have any definitive role models in the industry who have been applying analytics, research, and insights for really driving the cutting-edge decision-making. From my perspective, it's a lot about uh, driving this culture change, and we all acknowledge that culture change is never an easy job, and it requires, first of all, a lot of senior leadership commitment and trust. Commitment to provide the right resources, build the right skill set, and ensure that uh, a clear strategy and roadmap are in place and getting tracked on a regular basis. And the team, uh, they needs to have and feel this trust from the senior leadership once it's set up. So trust in their expertise, in their knowledge, and uh, in their business acumen. I think that it's important to remember that data might show something that you didn't expect to see or indicate the areas uh, which require the most attention and also showcase that something significant needs to be done or needs to be changed. So in all in all, it requires a lot of courage. And I think as in uh, B2B sector, it hasn't been known for a long time. I know that a lot of companies are onboarding data and they are looking for the ways of uh, how to find insights and business recommendations based on this data. But there is a lot that needs to be done in setting this uh, foundation on the organizational and cultural level. And I think it's also uh, important to ensure that uh, one senior leadership showcases their trust and their commitment. There is an ongoing process and ongoing open conversation and collaboration across various teams on finding the ways on how to bring data on board for the decision making and how to generate the most actionable and impactful insights. I think we all need to remember that insights, they don't appear out of nowhere. We can bring so many data points together, but they won't generate insights. Insights are really related with their strong business acumen, which teams uh, need to have in order to envision some potential challenges or provide their perspective or really share their guidance and uh, recommendations based on the data and the in-depth understanding of the data which we have in their hand. What I also hear you saying too is it sounds like organizations need a really strong strategy in place too to make the most use of insights. Is that fair to say? 
Absolutely. I think strategy and implementation of yep. this strategy. Yeah. Sometimes I think it goes very much like it's clear, of course, for all the leaders. And I think we can acknowledge that the value of data and the value of insights. And of course, it goes into their organizational strategies on very, very senior leadership level. But what I see is uh, the challenge is when we go to their execution of that strategy, what specifically we're doing and how we're tracking the progress of the implementation. This is something that is definitely not easy to accomplish because it needs to go hand in hand with the uh, development of the organizational culture. Do you have any additional advice for smaller companies or for later stage startups, maybe an organization that they might have, you know, product researchers or UX, or maybe the marketing team occasionally does some research projects, but they don't have a formalized function at the same time, if it's like a growing organization or a public company that wants to build this kind of program, any advice as to what they should think about? First of all, start onboarding research analytics and insights function or a particular point of contact as soon as possible. And I think sometimes uh, a lot of organizations, especially when I was working with startups, they were saying that we don't have enough resources, we don't have right. enough funds, uh, data is always very uh, expensive. In reality, we are all swimming in data, as you mentioned, yeah. there is so much data. It's about ensuring that you are getting, first of all, high quality data. So what procedures and processes should be in place to ensure that the data which you are getting naturally is the one which you can leverage for your decision making. So you don't always need to spend a lot of resource on creating new data. First of all, leverage what you already have in your hands. And then afterwards, while you start exploring, while you get in more clarity on what business questions you have, on what research questions you have, you will be uh, much better positioned in creating some ad hoc data, like surveys or qualitative interviews or whatever it can be to amplify the foundation which you already have in place. So, and I think uh, all in all, it won't uh, get as expensive as one might fear. It's all about, first of all, having strong uh, skill set. And second, ensuring that the skill set is leveraged and really involved in the organizational decision making, really involved in the uh, strategic uh, workshops or strategic thinking. The careers, um, again, insights, they don't appear out of nowhere. You need to build business acumen. You need to continuously grow in this business acumen to provide this actionable insights. This is super helpful. So last question for you. What do you think that high performance companies do differently from average performers, like in your experience? And that could be related to insights or your sense of the, the companies in general. I would summarize it in a couple of words, bringing consumer and customer voice in their decision making. Yeah, I love that. I agree with that. And I think it's also about the, uh, the evolution, you know, about the evolution that you start from something, you start from something small. And then you evolve. It doesn't need to be immediately marketing mix modeling, ROAS right, creation. Right. Fair uh, caveat. You can, <laughs> you can be, uh, you can go small, but you can set some data which you can really trust. You know what you can do with that and what kind of decisions uh, you can uh, make based on the insights which you get from this data. I think that's very wise advice because I do think that a lot of organizations 
probably do jump too far into MMM or some other more sophisticated methodology when they're not even doing basic customer interviews or you know they don't have a, a an insights program even for one person. So yeah, starting small seems reasonable. And I think also don't think about the solution. Think about what is needed. What is your business questioning? Solution can be found. It can be very agile. You would be sometimes even surprised how agile can be the solution. Just be clear. What is your first big business need and business question? And then start building the foundation there. And then it will come naturally. As long as your team or your point of contact feels that they are trusted, uh, they are valued, and the insights which they provide put on uh, board. I think that is fantastic advice. Very well said. Thank you so much for joining us, Nadia. It's been a real pleasure having you here. Likewise. Thank you so much for inviting. Thanks for joining us here at Good Revenue. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review, follow the show, or share it with a friend. We're a new show, so it really helps other listeners find us. And if you have feedback, comments, or suggestions for episodes or guests, please reach out to us. You can find our information in the show notes. This show was produced with the help of RPS Audio, experts in sound and podcast production.